Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. But I hear that women get most activated in their 40s. Is that true? I've heard 30s. Is it 30s? But I think 40s. I think it also is just after years of doing it the heteronormative way where sex starts with a hard penis and ends with a hard penis and being like, this shit is not working for me by 40. You're like, let's try something else. But this is the one area that we're like, the less you learn, the less you talk about it. The less partners you have, the better you're going to be at it. <laughs> like, what? But how, how do you learn how to be better in sex? Tony, do you know two topics that they don't teach you in school? What is that? Sex. Mm. Really, like sex. Besides essentially telling us that a man gets a woman pregnant and they have babies mm -hmm. and intimacy. There is no coursework growing up on intimacy. That is true. They have these fake ass marriages where you like the woman may have a fake. I remember in high school, it was like a fake baby. Yeah. And she would walk around and what it was like to be pregnant. But I'm thrilled because we have an expert, a sexologist, an intimacy expert who I've been wanting to have on this podcast for a while, Shan Boudram. You say that to all the sexologists. You're the first sexologist you say it we have. All of them. You're the first we've had. <laughs> Thank you. That is a niche that you're in in a career path that I imagine is kind of small, even though there's a huge need for it. Yes. It's it's pretty rare. Like at a dinner party, I typically don't come across. A sex all I, I picture like I, I've never met a lot of people at a dinner party. So how the heck did you get into this? I mean, I meet many at dinner parties, but that just is where I go to dinner. Um, I essentially I, I was talking about this briefly off camera yeah. that I feel like my purpose was something that I had to rediscover versus something I had to find. Because I genuinely believe from a very young age, I was just naturally drawn to the body. I was naturally drawn to intimacy. I think age appropriate, but like I was very curious about myself, but naturally because we live in the world that we do and I went to Catholic school, those natural interests weren't encouraged. They were heavily discouraged. Right. Like my Barbies were banned from being naked by the time I was six years old. I was put on notice from my babysitter for being inappropriate. I was called lewd a lot around the home. And so what I basically learned is that if I do have a sexual side, it has to be secret and private. So when I turned 14, I had hormones up in the mix and it was not even a choice anymore because that urge was so strong. I was like, okay, well, I have an urge to act out, but I know better than to talk was about Was the urge it. for sex or urge for like romance or just all of it or just confusing? I mean, I had sex with carrots, so I'd probably say it was for sex, you know? <laughs> at 14 with carrots? I think so. At 14, I just had such a drive just to engage in my sexuality. And because I had no education and I couldn't talk about it or didn't feel comfortable talking about it with my parents, what I turned to was porn 
and movies and fiction novels. Well, you know, carrots are very good for the eyes and, you know, if used carefully for the vagina. Not as a suppository, apparently. I, you know, I would have known if I got some benefits. There was nothing. <laughs> and there was no feeling either. I was like, this isn't working. Ash is um, wearing orange. <laughs> She's wearing on an orange theme, dress. Baby, uh, on theme. So, you know, it's interesting because I had similar experiences where I was like, aroused by different things and experimented with different things without any roadmap, just like exploring my body. Because that's, to me, I was like, oh, these feelings are coming up, these oh, do hormones. Tell. How did you explore? Well, I mean, I don't want to go into too much detail. You don't want to tell your carrot story? Well, I, I should say I had a carrot story uh, of sorts, but like I more was just experimenting with my whole body. So like I, because it's our bodies would put my fingers or touch different areas just because I was starting to feel sexual. Yes. And I didn't know, or I assumed that everyone kind of did this and no one talked about it. Is that true? I think that's a pretty fair assumption. Um, it's an interesting thing that, we feel off limits on our own body. Like, you know, when you go to a museum, you're aware that certain paintings you can't touch and certain places you can't go beyond. Like we treat our bodies like a museum. There's mm -hmm. certain areas that the general public can go. We treat ourselves like the general public. And there's some areas that if we do go, we're doing something wrong or something bad. One of my favorite jokes is this comedian said that, you know, if we believe that there's a creator and the creator is ultimately wise, if the creator didn't want you to masturbate, they would have put your genitals in the middle of, the, of your back where you can't itch. Instead, it's the most convenient place possible. Right. Like all the places you're not supposed to touch, like they're just really easy to get to. Um, so you should feel good and comfortable in exploring your own body. I'm actually still learning because we rarely talk about the way that people with penises explore their body. So I actually just found out like two weeks ago because I used to masturbate a lot with a shower head. Like that was my sex toy growing up. But then that's what you have when you're, you know, in a home with other family members. I had the jets to my jacuzzi. A lot. I did not realize that people with penises do this. Yeah. They use shower the heads and the jets. To, the jets to the jacuzzi. I was like, oh, this sensation is is so intense. And I remember my mom would be such a buzz call, Michael, you're in the jacuzzi so long. Your skin is going <laughs> to shrivel up. So then I go again. I got to take longer. <laughs> Michael, what, what, are, what are you doing in there? Seriously. Yeah. Like, I remember one time. And now she knows. I remember one time I was uh, masturbating. And uh, at the time growing up, I was attracted to the world wrestlers, like WWE. I don't know what it was. WWF F back man. in the day. And like, I, it was the first time I ever saw, because we didn't have the internet, men in less clothes. You never saw men with less clothes growing up when I grew up, okay? Mm. They were all like trying to be macho. We were having this conversation beforehand. It was like in Orange County, everyone wore board shorts. No one showed their thighs, the men at least, right? And I remember I was masturbating and my mom just walked through the door and was like, what are you doing in there? How old were you? I was probably like 16, and I remember I finally got my hands on a porno tape. Did she I, see what you were doing? Uh, or you covered I, I like moved very quickly, you know, but then that, that WWF book went out of the bathroom and went into the library. 
And I'm like, I didn't, that was like my favorite book. (laughs) That was my bathroom read. And all of a sudden it was like in the library. And so I, like when you go to CVS and things are behind a case and you yeah, yeah, ask yeah. the clerk to Which see Which is you. so funny, by the way, that those are things behind the case. And then I remember another time I got my hands on a porno, right? Again, now you can get it anywhere, but I got my hands on a tape, a pornographic tape, and my parents were gone to dinner, but they came home early. And so I threw the tape and I threw the Vaseline underneath the sofa and all of a sudden they were looking for the remote control to the television. And I'm like, Oh no, where's the remote control? (laughs) And my mom reaches underneath and pulls out Vaseline and the DVD. Then that night she's wanting my dad to talk to me about why Vaseline isn't the right thing to use. The whole thing's awkward, you know? And it's, it is kind of that thing. Like it is extremely awkward in our culture to understand how to be sexual and how to be ourselves and be authentic Mm. and explore it because for whatever reason, and I'm curious what the reason you believe is, I sometimes think it's religions that like get into the mix, but like, why is it in school that we don't learn intimacy? Why don't we learn about our bodies? I feel like people are afraid. First of all, I just want to say how powerful it is to say we're afraid to learn about our sexuality. We're afraid to learn about ourselves. Like those things are married together. I think people often separate the two. Like there is me and then there's the sexual side of me. That's the bad side or the mischievous or the freaky side. Like we're not one in the same. And actually when I was in school for sexology, they were saying that if you want to understand what the attitude of a culture is around sex, watch their mainstream porn. And in America, mainstream porn is what? massive dicks, massive boobs, out of this world sounds, unrealistic scenarios. Because we're so ashamed of it, we don't want to turn on the porn and see ourselves. Mm. It has to be something as far away from reality and us as possible. And so if you go to other countries, their porn looks like the person at the grocery store. Like there is a connect of like, oh, I see myself in that. So I love that you just said that in line of like ourselves and our sexuality, because they are the same thing, which is an aha for many people. But why do you think that is here? I I really feel like people are just afraid to be the one who suggested it. I mean, religion obviously is a massive one. Like that's, that's probably the under uh, grounding one, but even people who didn't grow up in religious homes, it's just cultural at this point. It's just cultural because, and even today it's interesting because you know that kids can access porn, but yet a lot of young people, their sex education hasn't improved and isn't improved. (laughs) That makes sense. That's what I'm saying. Anyone can access porn today. Yeah. Yeah. All the younger versions of ourselves are definitely watching it because it's accessible, but we're made to believe that it's wrong to view something that happens in life every second of every day. You know, it's like, I think parents are afraid to like, they don't want to get the call from school to say your kid made an inappropriate comment and then feel like they're responsible for that. So it just makes them feel better to say, where did you get that from? So I, I don't know. I think it's this bizarre thing and this blame game that's happening where it's almost like I'd rather you make bad decisions and mess up and feel isolated and ashamed and alone than possibly take the blame if anything bad does happen, which you don't apply that logic to anything else in life. So it's a really bizarre, interesting cultural phenomenon. But I have been in this space now since 2005 and I've seen massive strides since then. Like it's crazy how day and night more comfortable we are. Um, so Tell I, me, like how? 
Like I've been on every single mainstream show. I can talk about the clitoris now, you know, on The View. That couldn't happen before. You can, on daytime TV, you can talk about anal orgasms, which you couldn't talk about before. There's now more understanding of the clitoris. There's more understanding of the prostate. Like even that, in 2005, the butt of a joke of a movie was that a man liked prostate play. Like that was the main joke Mm. of the movie. That's top five Chris uh, Rock's movie. And I don't think that joke would fly today. And that's only mm-hmm. what, like, you know, yeah, six five years, years ago, yeah, five, yeah. six years ago. So I think it's it's fascinating how much we are changing. And I think social media has a lot to do with that. Do you think that uh, people who, because I took your quiz and and I. Um, it was 11 questions, which people can go to thegameofdesire.com. Ooh, look at the eyebrows on that, Mike. You got <laughs> sultry on him. You better bring that desire. You bring it. Mix. That's a moment. Um, and do you believe that a lot of people are in closed relationships that really one of the partners is more set up and should be in an open relationship because the divorce rate's over 50%. Mm. My assumption, now this is me generalizing, is that the reason for that is a percentage of that is because people aren't interested in their partner anymore or they're having an affair or they're caught cheating, right? Or they're not pleasuring their partner enough. Yeah, absolutely. And the divorce rate's actually coming down now. And that's thanks to the fact people are getting married much later in life and people aren't being pressured to marry in order to have sex. So, so access to sex, access to living together is opening up culturally. So people aren't making these rash decisions. So that is a positive thing, but absolutely. I don't look at it massively dissimilar from how, you know, 50, 20 years ago, even there was this idea that everybody should try their best to be heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Even if, you know, cause we know that sexuality is a scale. So it's not necessarily like black and white, either you're straight or you're gay. Like there it's fluidity. There's a sliding scale to it, which means statistically most people fall in the middle. Right. Most people are not either a hundred percent hetero or a hundred percent homosexual. They're somewhere in, in between. And, but everybody is like, if you can be heterosexual, I think the same thing is true today for monogamy and non-monogamy. I think that there is fluidity in there, but everyone's trying to force themselves into the box of monogamous, which Mm -hmm. I don't think many people are set up for. And again, not dissimilar. Some people, it genuinely, they're not oriented that way. It's not a decision. They're not bad people. Like they just have the capacity to love multiple people at once. Mm -hmm. They have the capacity to prioritize one relationship and have sexual relationships that are consensual with other people that are maybe not as important to them. Um, So I think if we understood it that way, less like, there are cheaters and then there's non-cheaters, but there's just genuinely people who have different ways of committing and connecting and loving. And that doesn't mean it's lesser or greater than anyone else's way. And do you find that men are more uh, desiring of an open relationship than women? Or do you think there's no uh, difference in your years of doing this? In my experience, but a lot of this is cultural, uh, it's usually the woman who initiates an open relationship. Really? Wow. Yes. I'm shocked. I I would be, but I think that's also because men are afraid, more afraid, and it's more acceptable for a woman to admit. And a lot of people who do want an open relationship who are women uh, want it with another woman. Um, that's crazy because I, 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 I asked someone who's a family member of mine um, who's been in a relationship for, I think they're about to be in 10 years. 
And I was like, hey, how would you feel if she wanted to, or if she allowed you to do what you want with other women? He said, yeah, for sure. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, how would you feel if she was like, all right, as long as you get to do things with other women, I can do things with other men. He's like, nope. Yes. I was like, yeah, which is yes. so bizarre like, to me. Dude, why not? I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, so you can do whatever you want with women and she can't. He's like, yeah, no, she, she can't do that. And I'm just like, I, that's I think some Henry the eighth shit. Yeah. It's a lot easier not to suggest an open relationship and just to be cheating deceitful. That way you can get what you want without giving up something that makes you feel uncomfortable. That's crazy. But why, why is that? I, I know a lot of men like this. They, they would be okay uh, with, bringing another woman in uh you know having a, a three-way or having uh their ability to go have sex if they were allowed to but they're not their capacity doesn't allow them to accept their partner doing it again like i'm in a open marriage i say that with like a grain of salt because we're not actively open so people are always like technically not really open uh, so we refer to our relationship as a free relationship because it can look different forms different times when we first committed to each other, we committed on a basis of open. And I can say from watching the way people uh, respond to me versus my husband's very different. People will respond to her like, bro, you're fine with letting other dudes blow her back out. That's what you're comfortable with. <laughs> oh and God. you'll see in the comment section, like people will constantly berate him. And like, it's this idea that like, you're not controlling your woman. You're not handling your business. Mm. You're less of a man. Like she has to go elsewhere to see somebody else because you can't satisfy. Where I don't necessarily get comments like that if anything it's more the whore the slut whatever but you know that's tuesday um so i think that there is a bit of the pressure that men put on each other to only get validated as being macho or as being the man in the relationship if you are the only man and you know we could watch animal planet and guess why where that comes from well the i know we have a quiz that uh you put together and i imagine uh, in putting together this quiz, you really vetted this thing. You uh, have spent years doing this. There's a lot of details, a lot of reasons why you're asking different questions. And the quiz, there's a few quizzes on your site, but one of them that we're going to get into today, a commitment quiz. Like when you're thinking of partnering with other people, what kind of partnership, what style of partnership works best for you? And the same way that I would go out on a first date with somebody and ask them important questions to see if we're aligned, this should be a question too. There shouldn't be an automatic assumption that everybody is monogamous. There should be a like, hey, what kind of commitment are you interested in looking into at this time? And it's kind of interesting. It's almost like, I'm going to use this as an example, like anything that people feel is part of their own value system there's a weird projection that people when they don't have self-awareness do that they put on other people and judgment yes like i just posted on my instagram I, I think i said uh you know i used to i don't care if people get a vaccine i got a vaccine but up to them their their life their body their choice you know a, Someone's going to abortion their body, their choice. Like that's, that's how I view it. That's how I, but I said, uh, you know, I, I have no issue getting the COVID vaccine. I did crystal meth for years and I put battery acid up my nose. So I'm not scared of a vac a vaccine. Right. And I put all sorts of different things in my body through the years. So like, why the hell? Like, I don't care. And a bunch of people who I guess aren't interested. I'm like, this isn't even political. It's like kind of a joke for me. They're like, you know, you're you're sending a bad example and you're trying to be controlled. And then I sit back and I'm like, 
why do these people even feel the desire to tell me what I should or shouldn't be saying? And it and I realize there's certain categories. You see this in religion. You see this in sex. You see this in relationships. You see this with the COVID vaccine. You see this in politics where people to feel okay or maybe they're threatened by a different way of thought can become insulting Mm -hmm. like you're describing for someone to say to you uh, or to say to your partner oh you're gonna let some guy run up on her you look at it and you go well what is that person's and why even spend energy doing that I mean, it's natural for people to have an adverse reaction. Like, there's a reason why tradition and cultural and universal values exist is because that's just, it's a survival mechanism or to get everybody in the tribe on the same page. So we have to understand that it's normal for us to all think the same things and pass along the same ideals because that's how we were able to survive in groups and get along with each other. Obviously, now that things are changing and we don't have as much rigidity to our, you know, quote unquote group, we're allowed to have diverse thought. And we're now starting to really accept that. We don't have to all think the same and it will be fine. Yeah. It will work out. For sure. I can have sex with whoever I want. You can still have sex with whoever you want. There will still be groceries at the grocery store. It'll be okay. Um, So I think people's general reaction to that just comes from like an outdated way of thinking. But if we've been conditioned to see love the same way, every movie you've seen, every book you've Mm -hmm. read, every time you go to a brunch, they stand up and clap for a couple who's been together. It's the same kind of couple. Mm. What's that going to affirm to you? That there's only one good way to love and everything else is a cheap imitation, poor version of that. I watched this movie that was uh, about Wonder Woman because the guy who made Wonder Woman was polyamorous and he had two wives. But in essence, I think he ended up dying and the two wives like lived on together. But It was a positive story about polyamory. And I bawled my eyes out in the theater because I'd never seen that before. Like you, every time you talk or hear about people who are in throuples or multiple relationships or open relationships, there's always a negative spin on it. Yeah, it's always dudes with like long hair and a nose ring and like some really bad tramp stamp on her back. And, you know, like it's never like- A cool person. A cool person. It's like we've lived out in the, you know, by Humboldt (laughs) County in Northern California. (laughs) You know, it's never like normal people because I think that people uh, get scared to be honest, because there's this huge valued system that is trying to say this is love. Yes. And if you go against it, people dislike you. And then if you have a job where people liking you is important, you keep it to yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of the things like people just keep things to themselves. A lot of your grandparents were in open marriages. They just didn't call it that. Um, They just didn't sleep in the same bed. And, And by the way, it is okay, like to me, totally okay if someone wants monogamy. What I don't understand Absolutely. is why why does someone else get bothered by the way someone else wants to love? Like either there's insecurity, either they really think that way and they don't they're projecting, right? Like you see that a lot with evangelicals who are anti-gay. And then all of a sudden there's a story that, you know, (laughs) they hired an escort in a hotel. Right. So it's like, it's, it's just interesting that there's this idea that my way is the right way. I think it's a fear of the power of suggestion again. 
Because if we're at a dinner party and you bring it up and maybe I'm the quiet person at the dinner party, on the drive home, I turn to my partner and say, so what Mike was talking about, what do you think about that? And the other person is like, no. So they want to shut it down immediately because it's the fear that their partner could come to them with that. And they're not ready to enter into that space or to have those dialogues. But I always tell monogamous people, non-monogamy is your friend because we're weeding out all the people who would be cheating. So by giving other people an alternate option for commitment, now you have less people trying to force themselves into the box of monogamy who inevitably could never be successful there. Mm-hmm. And you look at how many relationships today that are unhappy or that aren't working, but they're staying together Ooh. till death do us part. You better, tell, you better say it, Mike. No, I mean, <laughs> no, we better right. stay together. Like my parents were married 25 years and they won't be happy I say this, but there was not intimacy in front of me. There wasn't a lot of love. They probably should have got a divorce so many years prior. Now, I'm glad they didn't because I was born, right? But other than that, it's kind of like, why stay in something that isn't bringing you joy? Well, what are the friends and neighbors going to think? Yes. We said till death to us part. We made a pact. Isn't that the irony, right? In what, when people get married, you're literally, it's almost like you're under, what is it? You like raise your hand and you do something. I've been to a bunch of weddings, but I think I kind of like my stomach churns at this moment because I'm <laughs> analyzing the divorce success rate. Like it's 50%. Let's be real. Like yes. when people get married who are in my life, I'm like, all right, so I went to six weddings. Three of these aren't going to work out. I'm not being jaded or mean. It's just like, I always think, God, they spent a lot on this wedding. Do you think they're going to look back if they got a divorce and been like, I could have bought a house you know, cause I've been to some extravagant weddings, you know, and I don't even know where I'm going on this tangent, but I, I just, I just, if they're saying till death do us part and they feel humiliated and embarrassed mm. and, and they still get divorced 50% of the time, mm-hmm. something isn't right with the way we're operating love in the U S and how we're teaching people how to love. Because I have a greater likelihood of getting a heroin addict sober than a marriage sticking together. Mm -hmm. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. So something's off. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you're, you know, willing. Did you say it was tradition? Was that you that said that? That it's it's tradition that we've learned from that marriage and... Is that what it was? Like, it's like we've... It's been passed down. It's been such a thing for so long that we feel like that's the right way? Well, it is, I mean, I'm married. And like the reason why this quiz here, right? We talk about the different reasons people want commitment. And my option here is it's an important milestone slash goal of mine. Um, It's not because I want assurance of exclusivity. It's not because I want my other people to know that I have a partner It or that this person's mine. It's nothing about ownership. It's genuinely like I grew up in a society where this was like, if somebody if you've met the person you want to spend your life is with, here's what you do. Mm-hmm. I also, it's social currency. Marriage changes the perception of your relationship. And that's why we still do it. So I understand what it does. It also changes your tax situation in many cases. But I um, acknowledge that it there is no real logical reason if you're not religious, but there is still a social exchange that you get out of saying, like, I'm a married person. Mm-hmm. And it's just deep, deep beliefs. If you've seen enough movies that are saying this is the proper way to love. Yes. And you've seen enough shows that say wrong, shamed, if you think this way, eventually you kind of fit in. 
Because that's the way that we function. Exactly. You're wearing pants. Mm-hmm. You got great legs. You don't want to be wearing pants right now. You're hot. But I got to go to Amin right after this. But I, exactly. trust me, normally, you nor, you, normally when yeah. I'm on it, uh, normally I'm never dressed like well, this. You got to do some things to fit in and you got to draw your line somewhere. You're right. But I think that line shouldn't be at the cost of your happiness to the point you're making to stay in a marriage where you're not happy, you're not fulfilled, and you're not achieving your own individual potential because this thing is like sucking the life out of you. That's not the kind of social norm that you should be like, well, everyone else is doing it. Like, that sounds like a miserable existence. So how do you, if you meet someone and you have sex and let's say the sex isn't that good, right? The chemistry isn't there. Yes. But you think they're amazing, but it's just the sex life's not there. Now, do you think that for one, can the sex really get better or is it one of those things where you think chemistry dictates a lot in terms of like sexual pleasure? I think compatibility can be built, right? And especially if you have somebody who's willing to learn and somebody who doesn't have an ego, again, going back to the fact that we're not taught how to have sex, the notion that most people are going to be great at it is nuts. Yes. It's the only muscle we're not taught to use. Yes. And then everyone's expected to be incredible in bed. You're like, and then if you get caught reading a sex ed book, oh my God, like you freak, you weirdo. So it's so bizarre because in golf, if you want to get great at golf, yeah. you hire an instructor, you go to Practice. the golf range, you read books, you watch professional videos about it. You train in low risk environments. So when you're actually in a tournament, you can perform It's second muscle memory. But this is the one area that we're like, the less you learn, the less you talk about it, the less partners you have, the better you're going to be at it. <laughs> like, what? That's true. Right. But how, how do you learn how to be better in sex? Reading. It's fundamental. It's, I mean, yes. it's, there's a basis. I think like being good at sex is not dissimilar from being great at cooking. So I can tell you I'm a great cook, but you may not like my spaghetti because I make it a certain way. But if I'm a good cook, I can pivot based on what your needs are. Because I'm like, you don't like spice? Okay, cool. I'm going to sub in this other ingredient. So you have a fundamental knowledge of anatomy, of communication, mm. of what somebody could like in the bedroom of different kinds of kinks and fetishes. So when I come to you, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be the ideal partner for you without any dialogue, but at least I know what to ask. Right. At least I know where to start the process of building compatibility and chemistry with you. So I'm not going to naturally be your best sexual partner for many reasons. Um, but I think that I have the understanding and knowledge to get there with you because I have the basics down. So when you say read about sex, where does one read about sex? I mean, I, shit. I mean, I, I do this every single day of my life. So I know. And that's why you're in it. Yes. But for the outsider, I'm like, what do you Google? Like, be a better sex partner. And then all of a sudden you get on those websites where they're like, get this pill. And yeah. it. It's not telling you how to be better. It's telling you there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Your penis is dysfunctional and here's a way to grow it. Get it bigger, perform better. Yeah. Right. Yes. There's no like, here's how you please your partner. I mean, there's definitely depending on everybody deserves to find a sex expert that is fit for them. I wouldn't be your ideal sex expert because I don't cater towards people with who you have sex with. So there are, what do you experts. mean? Oh, you do straight couples primarily? Well, I majority talk to people with vulvas in general. With like what? Women with women. Women. But people with vaginas because you can identify as women and still. Do women still matter? Like, I, I don't know why I have this misperception potentially because it's so taboo to talk about. But I hear that women get most activated in their 40s. Is that true? 
I've heard 30s. Is it 30s? But I think 40s. I think it also is just after years of doing it the heteronormative way where sex starts with a hard penis and ends with a hard penis and being like, this shit is not working for me by 40. You're like, let's try something else. I'm done trying to impress you. I'm done trying to like make it seem like I'm the girl in porn. Here's what I need. So I think it's more about shedding all of the social conditioning that you have that tells you. Know you know what's got to be so awkward? If people never, I mean, this is like really a, let's say you have a couple that's waited till marriage to have sex. Mm-hmm. And that day comes and it's the wedding, which there's got to be a lot of anxiety because it's your first time ever having sex, let's say. And let's say the sex isn't amazing or the dude's done in five seconds. Like, <laughs> it's got to be so challenging with that mindset to really go, let me do some research. Let me figure out how to please the partner because it's almost like there's so much pressure. Yes. On this thing. And because we're not in people's bedrooms, but you are, it's, I just am so curious, you know, like what, what do people today, what are they challenged with sexually? Like what are women challenged with? I would hope you have empathy in that moment. I, but you probably don't because you probably, if you don't engage in it, I'm actually really happy when I meet people who are fans of mine who have never had sex. Right. I'm like, that's hella cool. That you're not doing it, you're not ready to do it, but you're still saying to yourself, I want to learn. I'm the same way with uh, when I meet someone who's never been to therapy before. I'm like, you made it through this life and you're 40 years old and you've never been to therapy. I'm like, love it. Yes. Right? Like, I, I get it. You know, it's it's almost like somebody's discipline or their uh, passion or, or, or a lot of people not having sex because they don't want to. Yeah, they're not ready. It's their religious belief system. Okay. They have an idea of what it's supposed to look like when they want to. And then you get into your own head. Maybe as you get older, it becomes more of a big deal now. And then you don't want to be the person who has sex with somebody and you last for five seconds. And so you want to be a trusted person. So there's many reasons people don't have sex, but I think it's cool. Even if you're not doing something, if you know you're going to one day, like arm yourself with knowledge, care about it. Because when the day comes, you don't want to be in a position where you know nothing. But what do you hear from women often? It, with their sexual partners when it's not working? Uh, I mean, like lack of knowledge about what they need to orgasm. Like there's a study that, I mean, the orgasm gap is for every two orgasms that a man has, a woman has one in heterosexual relationships, mainly too. that women who have sex with women orgasm, I think like 40% more than women who have sex with men. So there's this lack of prioritization on what works for a woman to orgasm. Because again, the way we see sex show up in movies and TV is a very specific formula, which wouldn't work for you. And it doesn't work for me neither. Got it. Which the formula is? Oh, I see you. We make out for three seconds. I pull down your pants. I unzip mine. I have a penis down. So I unzip my pants. I pull you. You have a vagina. I pull down yours and then I bang you up against the wall and then I thrust into you. And then you have six orgasms because I'm thrusting so great. And then I finish and then it's over. And are you in a suit? I'm in a suit for sure. You're in a dress. I'm in a dress. Mm. And And you're wet for some reason. Oh, no. It's raining. Oh, I thought you meant something else. Oh, Oh. no. (laughs) (laughs) It's raining. You're sweaty. So it's people and, and, and what you're saying is a lot of women want that experience. Well, that's what the way we see it happen over and over again. But the truth is that 
somebody with a vulva, you don't even get fully aroused until 12 to 20 minutes minimum. Like really? the amount of time it takes for enough blood to enter the area for you to get full sensation is that amount of time. And, and that's why guys who are watching porno and the women, it's acting. Yeah. Like they're really doing the act of sex. But there is actually scientifically men take just as much time to get fully aroused. Even though the penis gets erect mm. for everything else to get completely like turned on. Exactly. Would you agree with that? <sighs> I mean, I can get turned on pretty quick, but I think um I think there's definitely the intensity, right? Like there's levels of intensity and connection that you have by giving it time and warming up. But I'm I'm always fascinated. Like I've never had sex with a woman. Have you, Tony? Mm-hmm. I love how you say, mm-hmm. like, it's like, 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 I mean, I was like 16, but yeah, I mean, I did it, but I closed my eyes and I pictured a man and then I had told her that I was gay afterwards and then she still wanted to have sex. So I was just, did you enjoy it? No, it was very mushy. She must've liked and it. It was like, yeah, she loved it. Mushy. She, she wanted to keep mushy? going. We, we had sex for like two years. What do you mean mushy? Like. Like having sex with a woman. It was like that part. It was like very just, I was like, what do I do? I almost, if you're a straight dude, <laughs> you got to st- like, that's the difference for gay guys is like, we know like, okay, you got a penis, you got a butt, you got, but with a woman, it's like another creature, even though we're humans. Right. <laughs> but like how they feel, not to overgeneralize, but like how they, how they're going to feel mm-hmm. the anatomy, you know, we're used to our own anatomy. Yeah. Right. But a woman, a straight dude, knee, in my opinion, if I was a heterosexual dude, I would need to study a woman's anatomy. You know, I would want to be a great lover for the woman and I would need to understand how it works for the woman. Because if you're a straight dude and well, that you puts just, you ahead of the curve of a lot of straight dudes. Well, that's, that's already what even just being curious that puts you ahead of the curve. Well, because if I'm a straight dude, I have to realize that if I just make it about me getting off, eventually she's not going to be happy. Eventually she'll get it elsewhere because if I'm just focused on like bang, 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 like, I don't know. It's just, that that reminds me of the movie American pie. Um, when there, I think it's the second movie, the first movie where he's like, he he's about to have sex with a girl and his brother left him like a book where, it shows like the vagina and like what parts to hit yes. and like what parts to like, you know, lick and what parts not to lick. And there's, there, I love that, that I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Like there's there, like, just like you said, there's people who are curious to know like what pleases a woman versus just a guy getting off. Yes. But I think a lot of guys are just in it to get off. I think a lot of them think the way that they get off is what works absolutely best for their partner. Like mm. imagine that, like we're going to go out mm. for dinner. I'm going to order only what I want to eat. We're going to go exactly where I want to go. And you're going to have the best meal ever. That's crazy. And you're like, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't want the calamari. Yeah, I didn't want, I didn't order that. But yeah. So, but I think that that's the conditioning though, that for men that like you do what you like, you prioritize your pleasure and then your partner is going to have 20 orgasms as a result. And you just seen this image happen over and over again. There's even like uh, Freud had this theory that clitoral orgasm, which the clitoris is the primary sexual organ of women. He said, if you're experiencing clitoral orgasms and you don't have vaginal orgasms, you're immature. Like uh, a woman has to grow to have a vaginal orgasm. And a vaginal orgasm is similar to having a prostate orgasm. 
Like not everybody can have that. Not everybody will have that. You might even experience pleasure associated with prostate play, but you may not have an orgasm without also penile stimulation. So most women are not going to achieve only 25% will ever achieve an orgasm from just vaginal penetration. Oh, wow. But there's a school of thought out there that like, you're only mature if you can do it this way. And this way just happens to align with exactly how a man wants to have sex with you. Interesting. Yeah. So, we so got a, lot a lot of women, a lot of women are not getting pleasured essentially. Yes. Um, but, but it's improving when I started in this space, it was the orgasm gap was three to one. And how does a woman say that to a partner? Like, what do you find an effective way, uh, to communicate if you're not, if you're wanting to just, you know, you know, monogamy and being with a partner, but the sex isn't fulfilling. I think there's a number of ways. One, you can yum instead of yuck. You could try that first. So instead of saying, like, I could say yuck, you kiss with your teeth or yum when you kiss me softly and I just feel your lips. It feels so good. You'll say yuck or yum? Well, not that, but literally. But I mean, instead of talking about what you don't like, encourage the things that you do, even if they didn't do it. Right. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Like when you talked dirty to me the other night, it turned me on. The person's like, I didn't talk dirty, but <laughs> you like that. So let me do more of that thing. So you can encourage the things that you do want out of them. Porn can be really helpful in this way too, because you can have your partner watch a tutorial with you. That's looks like something erotic. So I can be like, oh my God, I watched this hot ass film. Can we watch it together before we have sex tonight? And then that person, you know, mon- monkey see monkey do will start to mimic some of the things that they saw. Of course, you can send your partner a book. Um, you can send them a cool video that you watch. You can do things subtly to say like, here's what I want more of. Or you can just sit down and talk to them and say, 95% of women will orgasm from clitoral stimulation. This is what I need more of. Have you had someone in the room present like guiding you and your partner like Karma Sutra style? We haven't, no. Um, I have great sexual chemistry with my partner. We started off as... Uh, if you swear on this podcast, but Mm -hmm. we started off as fuck Fuck buddies. buddies. Mm -hmm. I will always say that over friends with benefits because we were not friends. Right. It was literally like, I'm looking for a great sexual partner. You and me had really great sexual chemistry. Let's continue this relationship. I don't even want to hang out. How did it evolve? Like, Uh, what were the, like, give me the levels. The level, probably level one is, oh, I'm throwing a party with my friends to watch football. Do you want to come? And I'm like, do I go to my friend, my fuck buddy's football party? That's kind of weird. And then I went with a friend. I'm like, oh, this was normal. Okay, that's cool. And then level two was like, oh, I'm going away for a week. My plants need to be watered. You know, I trust him in my space. Hey, can you water my plants? I come back, my plants are alive. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I can trust you with that. And then maybe I go to an event and now I invite you. And then my friends get to like you. So just really small steps of seeing how we integrated well in each other's lives and didn't let one another down. And we just kept advancing the relationship. And that's why we went from friends and benefits to open relationship, because a big part of what we loved so much is we loved our time together. We treated each other well. It was extremely mutual. I could trust and rely and depend on him, but I also had my freedom and I got to be the best parts of me. And I'm a very flirty person and I'm a very seductive person. That's why I do what I do for a living. And he loved that about me. You know, he came to see me talk at a Playboy talk and I tied up another man on stage and afterwards, he's like, that was the hottest thing ever. <laughs> and I've been in other relationships where I got off stage and it was a fight immediately because I didn't look like somebody who was in a relationship on stage. Like it was like this need to show ownership over me, even when I was doing what I did for a living. And so was initially, were you sexting a lot? Sexting? Was it like, yeah. When you were fuck buddies, was it like you were like 
I want that. Oh, I want that. It all started very like sexual. Yes. I actually think I was talked about this before too. A really good thing with starting off as fuck buddies is that the whole point of being fuck buddies is great sex. So you're really comfortable saying I do and don't like, because this is all we care about. Right. Mm-hmm. So actually, as we got into a relationship, it was easy to keep up that trend of being like, hey, I don't like when you don't text me back when I ask for confirmation in a plan. Hey, I do like when you do this. It was built into mm. the fabric of our relationship to give feedback. Got it. So it's, it's, it's almost like, and that, that is kind of the gay way is people initially have sex. And then after that, <laughs> you know, tell me more about the gay way. The gay way is like, for the most part, it's like you start off as fuck buddies. It's not like, you know, hanging out with some people do this. And- yeah. <laughs> what? What were you going to say? Yeah. No, it is. That's the thing. Some people have, they'll, they'll hook up and then they'll see where it goes from there. Versus like my relationship, we purposely didn't hook up for like five months and then we, yeah. But there, it's a thing where it's a, you, you, it's just a hookup and then you'll see where things go from there. If the hookup wasn't good at all, then it's like, you're never going to talk to that person again. Mm. I would so still quick. talk to them again. You I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, oh, this person could be cool. Like I'd be friends with them. I, I'm not so. Oh no, she's, go- she, she's ghosted. You're- I've, I've been like, oh, I'm, I'm in the. God knows where I'm at, but we, we don't have connection. We don't have, you can't reach me at all no more. <laughs> if it wasn't good. Well, you know, we each have our different strategy. What if the person was drinking I, that night? And so maybe they were just probably, but I, 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 I don't know. It's, I, I mean, I've sometimes I've responded where I'm like, Hey, I think it's just best if we just, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. But I think like with more commonly, I mean, did you guys, how did you meet him to have sex? I saw him at a party and during that time I was in a relationship. So it was a poor relationship, a very unhealthy one. And it was long distance. But I remember when I saw him, I thought he would be the perfect revenge fuck person. Like I just saw, I got that good old fashioned feeling. And so I waited a year until I was out of that relationship and in a space that I was like ready to start seeing people. And then I reached out to him online. Nice. (laughs) I love that. He would be the perfect revenge. I think you would. I think it'd be good if you spoke. We have an alumni group at Cast Centers. Um, so I'm a, I founded a treatment center. Yes, I'm familiar. And um, we have an alumni group where all of our alumni get together. And the, one of the biggest things that people are challenged with is sober sex. Um, sex after coming out of a depression for a year. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you would be a really good gift if you're ever down on a Monday night. You can just call in even. But I think seeking help with any shame is so empowering because shame literally ties down everything in our life. And in this arena of relationships, sex is an important aspect of any relationship, whether it's just starting or going for a while. And the one with yourself. And the one you have with yourself and how you feel about it, you know, and there's such a range of, interest and do you find that like you have your common things that like this turns me on or do you find they're always evolving always evolving for sure but i do have my like go-tos i right. think the same with like food like there's forever going to be my favorites but when you try something new you're like oh i didn't think i would like that but i do so i always leave myself open in 2018 i made a commitment to myself to never say that's weird or crazy and to always say that's fascinating and mm. that allowed me to start asking more questions afterwards. It wasn't a judgment. It was like an open invitation to learn more. So if you say like, oh, I like it when somebody cuts my feet during sex, instead of being like, oh, that's weird. I'd be like, cuts. Oh. 
yeah, like cuts, you know, okay, cuts and stuff. I'd be like, oh, that's fascinating. Tell me more. And then as you tell me about it, I might be like, oh, I think I might actually want to try that. So I leave the door open and it's a long life. I mean, I want to be having sex with the same person, even if we invite others in, but I do want to be having sex with the same person until I die. And so I would assume that things are going to change. I'd hope they change. Change is fun. All right, Mike, we are almost out of time, but let's quickly talk about the different options you can get from the commitment quiz. You could have gotten um, casual dater, which is no t- no no ties, no commitments. Serial non-committed dater means I might have multiple people that I'm seeing that we have a relationship-esque like thing with them, but I'm not committed to anybody. Then you've got modern monogamy, which is one person at a time. Mm. Traditional monogamy is one person for life, which maybe your parents fell in line with that at one time. This belief system that no matter what, I'll make it work with one person. Modern monogamy is if it's not working with you, I'll switch to somebody else. Then you've got monogamish. And those are people where in essence, they are monogamous, but they acknowledge that you can be attracted to other people and that's okay. So they might allow their partner to go to a strip club or to have flirtatious relationships or maintain relationships with the, with someone that they're attracted to even, you know, friendships or such, but there's nothing you could do to act out. Then you got open relationships where there's a primary relationship that is the most important but you allow each other to have secondary or tertiary relationships that are compartmentalized, be that just sex or just romantic, just talking about the theater. I don't know what else, but (laughs) then you've got free relationships where your relationship structure can shift over time. So my relationship is a free relationship because if my partner came to me and said, I want to be polyamorous, that wouldn't be breaking the covenant of our getting together. Because if I got together with somebody under the pretense of monogamy and monogamy is important to me, if they came to me and said, I want an open relationship, now we're talking about, should we even be together? Mm. That wouldn't happen in my relationship. That's not a make or break for us. Um, and then you've got polyamory, which is the ability to love multiple people at once and often at the yeah, same time. Yeah, I'm like, that's some next level stuff. I'm like, wow. When people polyamory? Can, yeah. When people can do that, I'm like- What is, what is that? It's, it's, it's more, so poly means, it's, it basically breaks down to many loves. So you can, we can all equally be in a relationship Yeah, like together. I'll, I'll meet guys, they'll oh. be like, that's my boyfriend, that's my partner. That's our, like, they'll be in a relationship. But they're not in together. So they're, no, in, like, they're in different relationships. Well, some are together. Yeah. And then some are. So I can have different. like a boyfriend like here, and then I can have one like in New York, and then have one like in Texas. And or we like, could all be in the same room dating each other. Yeah. And my relationship with you could be just as important <laughs> as my relationship with Mike. Like, there's no difference. I can love I mean, it's rejecting the scarcity model of love that if I love Mike, I can't love you that's as much. That's crazy. That's what I'm saying. It's next level. That's that's some next level shit right there. Like, I, part of me is like, God, I Girl, admire, I admire I it's not for me, but I admire people that have that ability. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, that is really uh, such a way to exist where there's not that jealousy. Because really that's, for a lot of this, what can come down to it, right? Is yes. This- There's a word that I love in the, the polyamorous glossary. It's called compersion. And compersion is the joy of seeing someone else happy. So maybe you do experience jealousy, but your capacity to experience compersion is so much greater. So even though you might get it like a feel, a tang of jealousy, you're just happy that your partner is expressing themselves and like living their best life. And like that you prioritize more. So your category that you are is what? Uh, free. Free. Yeah. And what is yours, Tony? I don't know. 
You might be monogamish. Monogamish, probably. Like, do you have we, we, attractions outside of your relationship? And is that okay? Like attractions? Like, do like I, are you able to look at somebody else and be like, I think that person's super hell hot? Yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah, and I express it too. So, I mean, I don't know. I think I might be monogamish, but I, like I said, things change. Um, my partner and I are having conversations today that we didn't have a year ago that we probably would never have a year ago. So as soon as somebody, there's the act where they're allowing, then it becomes an open relationship or not yeah. necessarily. I think once you start engaging with other people outside of the primary partnership and you know that the intent of that engaging is intimate, then it's now open. Hmm. But it doesn't have to be anything forever, right? And, Just- and you can change. Do these things change? Like, like, could, could I be interested in like, oh, when I say interested, it's it's like, oh, I could get with an open relationship in theory, right? If it's the right one, but then could it be monogamous? Like, like meaning does your, does your, um, as you evolve, can it go into these different categories is what I'm saying. For sure it can. But for some people, that means the renegotiation of, are we even going to be together? Because mm. if I agreed in an open relationship, that's a fundamental part of how I love. And then you change to monogamous. That's a conversation for me to have to say, I never signed up for a monogamous relationship. Mm. So it can change, but that can obviously put a lot of strain on a relationship, especially if the commitment style was like a fundamental compatibility. Mm. Interesting. We got into some good stuff. Yeah. Shan, Shan Boudram. You did it. She uh, has come in and opened up so many interesting conversations. I love talking to you because there's, you carry no shame. No, no shame, Shan. Mm. Is, uh, we started my... off with carrots and <laughs> carrots in the vagina. I know. We... Where will we go next? And, uh, <laughs> And you have a new podcast that's coming out in October that for for anyone, like I said earlier, who's like, how do I learn about being better sexually? I mean, this podcast is going to be the one you want to check out. And what is it called? It's called Lovers and Friends with Shan Boudram. Yeah. So you definitely want to click subscribe to our podcast. Take the quiz at thegameofdesire.com. Yes. And uh, follow her on all social media platforms. We'll make sure we tag her and... Uh, Until next time, we'll keep it magical. Oh, I like that. Thanks, Shan. Thank you for having me. Yeah. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Keltz is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horinige, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnoses, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.